Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy! And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we discover what makes a best-selling novel while trying to write, publish and market one in just a year. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe and thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to this second episode where today we're going to be focusing on the importance of an editor and there's a reason we're doing this early on in the process Mark isn't there? Yeah, I think the question is, what are editors looking for? Now, uh, in traditional publishing, editors are kind of seen as as the gatekeepers, if you like. They're, they're the people who sit between you and your reader. And even if you're an independent writer and you're self-publishing, I think it's interesting to hear what editors have to say about what readers want and what they are looking for, what, what it is that they're, they're, that makes a good book, that makes a bestseller, which is kind of why we're here. Absolutely. And reason, and we've actually got two of the very best editors in the industry. We have later on joining us in the show, uh, Juliet Ewers and Sam Eads. And uh, tell us a bit about who they've worked with, Mark. Well, Sam started in publicity uh, as a publicist. I think she was with Headline Publishing, which I used to work for many, many years ago. And she's worked with the likes of, of Neil Gaiman. Uh, more recently, she's worked with the likes of Michael Conley. Uh, and she started her own imprint, which is very impressive, an imprint called Trapeze, which has only started in the last couple of months. And she's been signing up some amazing authors. This is really, really exciting new imprint uh, with some really exciting fiction coming. So I think what she says is, is going to be absolutely fascinating. Excellent stuff. And, and Juliet's also worked with a number of really top authors as well, hasn't she? Yeah, Juliet's been in publishing for 26 years now, and uh, she's been with uh, Orion since 93, I believe, So, which is, I think is when it started or not long after it started. And Juliet has worked, well, with everyone, absolutely everyone. And with some really big names like Ian Rankin, Maeve Binchy, uh, but pretty much every fiction bestseller and some non-fiction bestsellers that Orion have had in in their long and varied history. So again, we, we're getting two quite different points of view here. Juliet, who's you know very experienced, and Sam, who's incredibly dynamic and new. So uh, we'll, we'll be getting some quite contrasting ideas there, or or not. Let's let's wait and see. Fantastic. So before we before we actually get them in the studio, as a as a kind of a novice writer. I always get confused about what the word editor actually means because when I started to delve into it and trying to learn the different roles of people in the publishing industry and in the book writing process, there seemed to be editors for everything. And maybe, I know Mark, you've had experience with editors. Can you can you break down you know, what an editor does and maybe the different types of editors out there so people aren't confused? Well, I think at its, at its simplest 
you have an editor uh, who might be uh, someone who's um, been with the company for a relatively short time, who uh, gets a book to edit, has a relationship with the author and and helps construct that book. Uh, that is, it's not just about proofreading, it's talking about structure and, and also looking at that author's career. Um, Sam and Julia, I mean, I think Sam is a commissioning, a senior commissioning editor, which means that uh, she is essentially running an imprint. She's head of a department. Uh, I think it's what most editors aspire to be. And that is someone who actively goes looking for new talent and goes looking uh, for, uh, for, for new ideas. And what a good editor does, it's not just about... Um, it's not just about editing your book and crossing the T's and dotting the I's and, and correcting your spelling mistakes. It's about building your career uh, as much as your agent will, I think, a good editor at least. And then you, on the other hand, you, you've got things uh, like uh, copy editors. I mean, for my experience when working on the, the Robot Overlords book, the copy editor, again, I thought, is this just going to be proofing? Is this just going to be you know, making sure my grammar and punctuation is correct? It was a fantastically creative part of uh, of of the process and my copy editor lisa she she would point out that you know things like i'd refer to an ak-47 as a machine gun when it's actually an assault rifle <laughs> uh she she pointed out that i had two different sets of uh machine guns on my spitfire in the story you know uh it was um it was absolutely fascinating they're they're the people who make sure that you don't look like a complete idiot when the book is published <laughs> it's, so it's, it's quite daunting it's a bit like looking for inconsistencies in the story so if you've kind of if if because i know when you get deep into a story you might have certain things have happened a long time ago in terms of you know if you're writing a book over a year um is, is it almost the sense that an, an editor can pick out that no that that can't have happened because that character wasn't there wasn't wearing that that thing completely okay plot holes they're great on plot holes uh they they will interrogate your timeline for the story, which certainly on the book I'm writing now, I've got notes all the way through saying this is day seven and it's day nine of the quests that our characters are on or whatever, just so I know exactly where we are. Uh, they'll point out all your annoying habits. My characters were constantly sighing and gasping <laughs> and sighing and gasping. And it's only like when us. someone puts it, yeah, oh, 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 what are we going to write? <laughs> exactly. But when you go back and look at it, you think, oh, thank God, she she found that because again, it's it's those little ticks that a good copy editor will will pick out, and it's you know the editor the, the editor or commissioning editor is all about structure and story and you know certainly the texture, um, but the copy editor really it really gets granular, really gets down to the nitty gritty, and if you as a writer can embrace that, then you're only going to have a better book at the end of it. And I guess if you're an independent author, you know there are editors out there who you know it costs money yeah. but i think it's worth the investment the book i'm writing at the moment uh i've just paid an editor 500 quid to go through my book with a fine tooth comb and the stuff he's come back with is just gold pure gold he's 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 made it better by a, a, a very big factor wow. and this is before i'm sending it out to agents and editors so i can you know i'm working on the rewrites now and i can put it out there with a lot of confidence so we should clarify that this isn't the book we're writing this is a separate book no. project that you're really big into yeah. and it's really interesting yeah. that you say that because i you know i think that obviously there's this big push towards self-publishing now and a lot of independent authors out there and it's a case of you know limited budgets but if, if you do have if you do have 
have some budget, what do you spend it on? And some people talk about, well, the book cover is really important. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, sk- skimp on the book cover. But I think maybe an editor is even more important. And from what you've said, Mark, it kind of reminds me of, I, I, I do a lot of professional public speaking and I kind of did my training um, at Toastmasters, which is a, you know, worldwide oh. organization. And what's really interesting at Toastmasters is that you have to get up and make a speech and there is actually somebody in the room who's assigned each week who has to count the ums and ahs. They yeah. literally have a sheet. <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, anyone who's spoken in the meeting, even if they're not making the speech, they, they literally, it's a kind of roll call of, and uh, Jeff, you had two arms, one double-double and a lip smack. And, and it's really, and, and you see these people come into the club and I was the same when I started. You start off with, you know, um, um, and, and we all do it because what an um is, is it's basically a kind of a thinking space, but we naturally do it because it's just part of our language. And in some ways, an editor is almost like that, um, see there I am doing it again now so I'm very aware of how I'm speaking um, the oh. editor is yeah it's like I'm meditating during the actual show but the the editor is is about finding your ums and ahs you know when you talked about the gulping and the sighing and I honestly believe that that is so crucial because when we talk about those ticks every single reader is going to pick those up and if a tick becomes a real problem during a book you know no matter how good the story is if the if the writing is such that um it becomes a there you see i did it again <laughs> it's the writing Sorry, I'm not, I'm not no, you're not counting thank you thank you so much but if the writing is such that these ticks keep coming out that could be the thing that means the reader puts the the book down so i'm i'm kind of convinced that we probably need an editor at some point. What do you think? I, I definitely think so. If Before we put it out there, we need an objective set of eyes at the very, very least, and not just mates or your mum or your auntie, but someone who's going to be able to say, cut that, move this, turn this around, mm-hmm. that's not good enough. Do you think uh, it's worth getting an editor during the plot stage, though? Because I've heard that some authors like to get an editor to kind of look over their plot to try and find the holes or the inconsistencies or the obvious you know, bits that don't work before you actually start writing. Possibly. I mean, it's some, certainly some of our authors here where they have, uh, say, a two or three book contract, they will at least send a proposal or an outline for the next book that they're writing. And the editor will come back and say, that's not strong enough, or perhaps we're looking for this kind of book, or I think this might be better for your career, or actually, yes, that's great, that's spot on, that really helps us, you know. So it's, um, and it, it might save you a lot of grief if we end up, you know, we could start out going down completely the wrong road. Mm. So it's certainly worth certainly worth thinking about. Uh, if it's If it's something that's, you know, it, it's going to cost you money, so to hire someone to do that, so... I don't know. Let's cross that bridge when we come to it. But I, I, if we feel passionately about an idea and we think it's strong enough and we're, we think it's, you know, uh, it's something we're going to have to live with over the next year as writers, mm. then maybe we'll feel whatever, you know, what the hell, we're going to write this anyway. So. Yeah. Well, let's, let's cross that bridge when we come to it, as you say. And, and I think it's, uh, it's probably important as well to kind of have a quick catch up on where we're actually at with the book writing. I mean, based on all of the information we got in episode one, it, I think it left us a bit more confused than anything. <laughs> and as of yet, we've not, we've not actually really nailed 
a specific idea yet, or even, I mean, genre, no, have we? No, I, I think Vix's advice in episode one, which you should all go back and listen to, um, was fantastic, completely spot on. Um, and it's, you know, the kind of books that are selling aren't necessarily the kind of stuff that we write. So we're kind of at a crossroads. Do we go down a road that's the road less traveled? You know, do we do we move into a genre that we're less familiar with or do we stick to what we know? And I think that's a big decision. And I'm all for stepping out of our comfort zone. But um, uh, the question is, are you, Mark? <laughs> well, uh-huh. let's see. I think, you know, I think that's that's the interesting bit because I think there is something to be said for writing something in a brand new genre, maybe that you don't necessarily read uh, yourself in terms mm. of helping yourself grow as a writer. But when it comes to actually doing this, you know, with a with a specific objective of trying to make a book that will actually sell, because, you know, this, this is the stark reality. We've got this incredible situation where we've got this big creative process, which in itself is a huge journey. But, you know, for, for most people who want to, to be writers or be full-time authors, you have this wonderful juxtaposition, juxtaposition about having to think about the market you're writing for. And, you know, I had this journey with music so many times as, you know, as a, as a musician and a composer, we would be thinking, well, do we just write what we love and just hope people buy it? Or do we actually look at what's, what's popular in the, in the charts right now or what actually has a market? And the same rules apply. I'm discovering anyway with writing. And so yeah. that's where I think the conflict of interest can sometimes come in the creative conflict of interest. And I think. I'm starting to feel that it's about a bit of a balance. It's about making a few compromises, but at the same time, having knowing what you're going to stick to. You know, so maybe we need to kind of design a, a few things that we say that these these are our foundational things, and we're not these are, we're not going to change on those. We're going to do X, Y, and Z, regardless of what the market wants. And then we might have to start thinking about you know, but we, if we're talking about a bestseller, what's actually potentially going to sell, and so what do we have to make some compromises on? Uh, it's, it's, it's part of the adventure, I think, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, and at this stage, we're doing what all good writers do, which is we are prevaricating. <laughs> uh, we're <laughs> putting my off the sharp, writing man. for as long as possible. Yeah, here's, here's my hand. Here you go. Here go. Live. I'm, can order. you hear this? Yeah. Here you go. Do you hear the yeah. pencil being sharpened? There we go. Just Very good. Sharp Very hands. good. But I think it's time now. We need some more help. We need some more tips. So I think it's time to get our guests in. Well, today's guests on the podcast, we're delighted to have uh, two wonderful people from Orion Publishing here. Uh, We have Sam Eads, who is a publicist turned senior commissioning editor. And in the past, she's worked with such huge names as uh, Neil Gaiman, Jesse Burton, Michael Connolly, and Poirot himself, uh, aka David Suchet. And Juliet Ewers has been working at Orion since 19... <laughs> you've re- initially started out on uh, on paperbacks because Orion used to split between hardbacks and paperbacks. Um, but lastly, you've been working as the editor for authors such as the late great Mae Vinci, uh, Miss Reed, and the award-winning Telegraph cartoonist Matt. And you also worked in the music business as well. We might talk about that later on as well two recording studios and you're now what is known as the group associate publisher working across all the groups imprints with big brands like ian rankin as well who's also someone we'd like to get on the show hint hint hint. (laughs) Um, so we have uh we've previously spoken to vix tranter who uh does consumer insight she was telling us about the kind of books that sell um but we uh, 
we, as we embark on this in, insane journey of ours, um, we need to know uh, uh, with a bit more clarity what we've got in store for us. And we thought we'd talk to a couple of top-notch editors. So Mark's going to kick off with uh, with the first first question, which is... Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Sam and Julia. It's lovely to have you on the show. And Sam, I just wanted to ask you very quickly, as a kind of novice in this duo, somebody who's kind of writing books um, fairly, fairly new in the process, what exactly is a senior commissioning editor? What do you do? What do I do? So it's quite a long list. Um, very, very kind of varied job. Um, I mean, the first thing that we do is read submissions. Uh, and I remember when I was a publicist, I went out for lunch with an editor and she said, you think you read books now? Wait till you become an editor. <laughs> and just to kind of give you the amount of I, uh, match submissions that we get through in a year, um, I've been at Orion for over a year and I've just had my 300th submission wow. from an agent. Um, so it's lots of kind of readings in the evening and readings, reading at the weekend. Um, lots of lunches, lots of drinks, lots of breakfast with agents where you kind of hear about projects that are coming up. Um, if you like a project, our job is to kind of drum up some enthusiasm in the house. Um, so we'll give it to our colleagues to read. And then we'll take it to the scary acquisitions committee. Uh, they're not that scary. Well, it's a little bit scary. Um, and when we go to that meeting, and I think this is important for you two as you embark on this journey, we need to know who the audience is for a book, where it sits in the market, um, and what are the key selling points. Um, and I think things go wrong if you don't know what those those three things are. Um, let's say you get your project past the acquisitions committee and they say, yes, we love it. You can offer some money for this book. What then happens is a kind of negotiation process with the agents, lots of back and forth. Um, I have to talk to our contracts director quite a lot. Um, and then you might have to do a big pitch. You might have to do a big pitch meeting. Um, you know, for one of the books that I bought, I kind of dismembered a doll and put it in a box and presented <laughs> it to the agent. You know, you have to do all these kind of crazy things to, like, get these books. Um, but hopefully, you, you know, you, you win and you get to take on that author. And that's where the kind of fun starts. Um, so that's where, as an editor, you'll send a set of editorial notes. You know, some of the notes I've done have been two pages long. One of them was a 35-page document. Um, and that's a mix of line edits. So picking up kind of uh, grammar mistakes, repetition of words, um, or it might be structural edits. So moving things around, cutting chapters that don't work, starting a book in a different place. Um, that process is a conversation. So the author might not agree with your changes and, and you kind of get to a point in the middle um, and then you have the book. Um, and alongside that editorial notes, you're briefing the cover, you're writing the cover copy, Mark loves this. We're writing the bibliof bibliographic data for retailers. Oh, love that. All those sort of keywords on Amazon. Um, and our job as the commissioning editor is to manage the process from manuscript to finished book and beyond. And I've written a little note here to say there's lots of tweeting too. Yes, lots of that. Julia, has that process changed much? Is it, has it always been this way? Have you ever had to dismember any dolls or toys? I personally have dismembered no dolls or toys <laughs> whatsoever in, in my career. Um, I think the biggest change, which just makes me sound incredibly ancient, is the social media side. 
it just didn't exist when I started. But then when I started in Orion, we didn't have email. Um, so there was a lot more. I know, she's laughing. I can't believe a time there was no email, but, it, but it's true. So you were sending, you had a lot more kind of slower communication. If you were lucky, you also had a fax machine and you could get something through nice and quickly that way. But otherwise, it's, it was more conversations, meeting up with them, writing letters to them. But basically, the process is the same. You're trying to find really good authors, talented people who you can help grow and develop their careers. Whether you come up with an idea, find an author that you think will be good for it, whether you're getting submissions from agents and then following through, um, exactly as Sam says, from you know initial pitch to publication and beyond, um, or whether it's kind of sort of zeitgeist stuff. So you think, actually, this is current now. We could find something and we could do something right now. Um, ideally, a commissioning editor wants to be building careers. So you want to be working hand in hand with an author and have a, a gorgeously long profitable career for both of you. You know, the author needs to be happy, so you've got to have a good relationship with them, and that has never changed. Um, the agents need to be happy as well, because they're not going to send you projects if they think, you know, no good. Um, Which is why you end up dismembering toys. Too. Exactly, mm. yeah. yeah. Yes. So I think the way we do things has changed, but the essence of it is, is pretty much the same. You're trying to get the best books possible to the market. Excellent. And when people send books in. I mean, these are obviously always coming to you through an agent. You're, you're not, the slush pile, does that really exist anymore? It does, actually. I mean, Galantz have a, have a slush pile day, week, something like that. And they are one of the few publishers that, or the few imprints that still find things on the slush pile. The slush pile does still exist, but it's so rare because people can self-publish now. It's so rare that you will find anything on that that's, that's a gem. Um, and as Sam says, I mean, she's had, she's been here a year, she's had 300 submissions. When is she going to have time to read the slush pile? Exactly. And when, when you read, uh, whether it comes on the slush pile or via an agent, what are the most, what are the most common mistakes made by writers, particularly those who want to write in the mainstream, who want, like us, you know, to maybe get up the bestseller charts. Who, uh, it, it, do, you, do you see common, common mistakes again and again? Sam's nodding ahead. I am. They write a book by numbers. So they look at what's popular. So it might be, so at the moment, twins, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this in your book, aren't I? So twins, uh, unreliable narrators, people with a drink problem, um, <laughs> Did I say twins? So it, uh, <laughs> like sex, like sex quite sort of like a trend at the moment. Um, and it's when you see a sort of cynical attempt to create a bestseller where uh, you have those kind of points, those sort of, uh, yeah, those plot points in the story, but there's no overarching narrative. So the overarching narrative um, falls down. There's nothing that hangs it together. I think that is the, that is the common mistake um, because I think bestsellers work because they have something important that they want to tell a sort of a, a bigger story um johnny geller calls it the space the space between words the meaning in the space between words and i think the the bad books don't have any meaning in that space so ideally you're looking for a voice i wouldn't sort of call it a, a voice i'm a, so I'm sort of particular. There's sort of two types of editors. There's plot and story and there's voice. And I'm like, not voice. I'm definitely more plot and story. And what I'm looking for is a sort of message, a sort of theme, um, a, a story that will resonate with lots of people. Right. And I, th I, think, I think that's where these bestsellers come from. 
Yeah, I think there's other mistakes as well that people make quite commonly. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right with all that. Um, copying somebody else is never mm. going to work. If you don't love what you're writing, how can you expect anybody else to love it? So um, a while back when Bridget Jones was first new, we had so many wannabe Bridget Jones. And it was just like, oh, that works. I'll write that. And I think the biggest mistake authors make is thinking it's easy. It really isn't. So you have to be... You have to want to do it. You have to be dedicated. You have to love the genre you're writing in because it will show if you don't. If you're just, as Sam says, cynically thinking I'm going for a bestseller thing, mm. it's really rare that you'll actually make it because people will see right through it. You know, In the first place, the agent will, the editor will. If by some fluke you get it published, the reader will. Mm. They will notice. I think another mistake that people make is, particularly in historical fiction, they've done lots of research and they're jolly well going to put it in the book, yeah. regardless <laughs> of whether it serves the story. Um, and that is so common and so annoying. But I think if people know you don't want to copy, but learn from people who are good. So for crime writing, you can't go wrong if you read Ian Rankin. You know, he's a, just a, a genius. Um, look at what he does. Read Stephen King's on writing. So learn from people who are doing it well, but don't copy them. Then do your own thing. So don't chase the zeitgeist. Don't try and copy other people and don't cynically go for a bestseller. Well, that's us group. Right? <laughs> uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, the bestseller experiment <laughs> podcast. It uh, lasted uh, one and a half episodes precisely. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's gosh. interesting because last week we the, one of the things we found, you know, the um, thrillers written by women with female protagonists, mainly with the word "girl" in the title, seem to do. And we're thinking, well, maybe this is what we need to write, you know. And neither of us read that kind of book. And I kind of thought it might be exciting to step outside of my comfort zone, and that's how I'd learn something. And I, th I think when it comes down to it, for me, stories about character. You know, a lot of, you know, the genre is, is very often uh, almost like the set dressing. Uh, and there are expectations with genre. But uh, I don't know, that's a bit of a challenge, wouldn't you say, Mark? I, I think, yeah, I do think we're back to the drawing board here. And I must admit, you know, I, I've, <laughs> but no, I, we've got to thank you, both of you, because, you know, the, I, I was having this kind of unease about this idea of trying to write something which which I didn't love or potentially didn't even read. And so it's really good to hear this because it really comes back to that question about, you know, write what you love and write what you know. Um, but one of the questions I was going to throw back out there is, you know, in your experience, obviously you've, you've both read probably an astounding number of books, um, you know, in your lifetime. Have there ever been moments where you've started reading a book, maybe with a, from a new author, and you just got that tingle down your spine and thought, oh, this is going to be huge? Yeah, I, definitely. Um, I think one that springs to mind is The Passage by Justin Cronin, um, which it had everything. It, it, it hooked you in immediately. Um, the writing was, was fabulous. It had a massive emotional punch, um, characters that you believed in. And considering the genre, um, if anybody hasn't read it, you need to go and read it. But considering the genre, it was completely believable. Um, you believed in this world. Um, and I, and it was different. And I thought that is, that's going to be a bestseller. Um, similarly, although twins, as Sam has said, let's move on <laughs> from twins, but the Earth twins. I just thought actually that's got an incredibly good setting. It's got a very good what if. I mean, in that case, it's, there's, there's two twins. One of them has died. What if the twin you think has died actually hasn't? So instantly you've got a very, interesting hook which people are going to think oh that's intriguing and with that one an incredible setting um but in all honesty there's also been books that i've loved and had a gut feeling that it was going to be a bestseller and it wasn't so not everything works um but yeah you do i mean you must find the same sound don't you? yeah and it's what's weird is it's an actual sort of physical reaction so um i've had it three times uh 
The first was with The Snow Child by A. Wynne Ivey, um, which was published by Headline, which is, had a beautiful setting of set in Alaska and had an amazing sort of fable-like quality. Um, and I remember I was reading it on the way to a festival and it was really hot outside and I was like completely transported. Um, a crazy one, Station Eleven, um, which I think we can call a bestseller now, um, had a completely mental plot. Um, uh, if you've not read it, you definitely need to read it. It's um, it's an end of the world novel. Um, it begins with a sort of uh, a Shakespeare play on stage where the actor collapses on stage and dies. And the next thing, um, 99% of the world's population has been wiped out by flu. Um, but it's an uplifting end of the world novel. <laughs> um, and, and it was an interesting one because it didn't have a very... So I did the publicity for that book and it didn't have a very clear pitch. Like it was really hard to pitch the journalist. But it gave me a feeling when I read it. Um, and the, the book is all about, you know, that the end of the world, culture and stories will survive. And it made me think, God, if like the world ended, but there were books like this in it, you know, what a, you know, that means something. Um, and I think it was that message, that sort of bigger message that meant that it would resonate with so many people. And Ragdoll, I got the old hairs. Yeah, second plug. Um, <laughs> And again, that was, I knew from the first page of that book, I just, the voice, um, I've been looking for a police procedural, but this was just, it was really, so it kind of had the hallmarks of things that I loved, but it was different. And I thought, God, I've got to have this book. When you say looking for a police procedural, do you, because yeah, I, being a screenwriter, you hear this with producers, they say, I have a slate and I, I have a kids movie and I have a drama and I have a historical movie, I have a romance. Is is that something? Is that a way that you think? Do you think oh, I'm looking for uh, you know an end of the world dystopia and 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 that's what your radar is looking out for? Is that how it works for you? I think it is for you, isn't it? Yeah, I have like a shopping list, mm. um, and it will be trends that I can see at the moment, and then I'll try and predict probably unsuccessfully trends that I think will happen in the future. So at the moment, there's so much crime and psychological suspense. I'm looking for a love story because I think readers are going to want something warmer. So do you think uh, you guys could maybe a big romance, big sweeping romance? Oh, that gets even better, doesn't it, Mark? Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, you know what's interesting, though, is one, one thing that I've been looking at, and I was wondering, Sam, on that note about, you know, what's happening in, in fiction, and what's, I always look at what's happening in the world, and I've noticed within music, for example, when, when you know, the world's starting to go pear-shaped with the economy and everything, suddenly a song like Happy by Pharrell Williams comes out, mm. everyone loves it. Do you think that there's actually... Um, the same in, in the publishing industry, but also a bit of a time lag because obviously it takes longer to write. It's a longer process to write and publish mm. a book. Do you think, so it, could you kind of look at what's been happening in the world and uh, today and say in a year from now, the book that people will be needing is X, Y, and Z, or is that is that too kind of formulaic? No, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, sorry, so at the moment it. I'm like, everyone's really upset about Brexit. So I think they're going to want to return to sort of cosy, sort of safer reads. Um, not that I stalked Johnny Geller, but I saw him tweeting going, in times of kind of trouble, a great love story will emerge. So I'm, I'm sort of actively looking for that at the moment. Johnny Geller, just for... Oh, yeah, sorry. It's like a kind of uber agent. Um, he uh, runs Curtis Brown. He's like A-list agent. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So he knows. He knows. He knows his stuff. In the UK, I mean, obviously Brexit... 
it, for, for the, our listeners in Canada and North oh, America, yeah. <laughs> that's just like a sitcom for you, isn't it? You know? It has been, but it's amazing how you know it has affected a lot of people across across the the ocean as well. So it's you know I think it's it's everyone's feeling it right now, you know, on all different levels. So I think you know I think it's important that Mark, we maybe try and think about how we tie in what we're going to be writing today with what people are going to really need. And and going back as well, one of the things I, I both got from you, um, both talking about the books that gave you that shiver down your spine. When, when we really distill this right down, is it really about how we connect with the reader emotionally? Yeah, definitely. I think it is. I think it's the same. I mean, you mentioned music earlier. I think it's the same with music. Music um, prompts a response in you, a physical response. And really good books do the same. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I'm not a weepy person with books. But there have been occasionally a title that you think, actually, I better stop reading this on the train because I'm welling up and I'm going to look stupid. <laughs> and you think that that's such good writing. Mm. You know, it's either the plot, the characters, something about it is, is giving you an emotional response. Um, whether it's, whether it's because you're sad, upset, excited, it's all those things. And it's, it is a physical response, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If it makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes your heart kind of race. Um, God, what did I read recently? Oh, there's a great sort of Kindle bestseller at the moment. Um, oh, God. Linda Green's bestseller um, in the UK. It's in the top ten. Um, Behind Her Eyes. Behind Closed Eyes, I think it's called. And I, um, yeah, I read it with my sort of heart in my mouth. And I could totally see why that's, you know, it's got such word of mouth, that book, that why it's sort of doing so well at the moment. Juliet, Juliet was you're very wise then. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it. I think it's... If it's affecting you, the chances are it's going to affect some other people. Yeah. If you're going, meh, then that's what the rest of the readership is going to be doing. There's, there's a kind of push and pull there, isn't it? Mark's talking about we've got to figure out what people want. But like you say, we've got, I mean, I've written a book. I'm writing two books at the moment. I spent about 18 months on a book. I'm very close to the end of, of writing it before it goes out to people. And I've lived with this for 18 months pretty much every day. Writing, 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 correcting, going back. You know, you've got to love it and you can't fake it. You know, um, so we've got to find a, a common kind of passion, Mark. Mm. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all part of the fun and exploration of what we're trying to do here. But uh, it's also in a... I don't like the way you said exploration. <laughs> so I know you're in Canada. I'm in Canada. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> but it is important, though, when we when we look at this, you know, obviously what we're trying to do here is help other people in this journey. We challenged, I don't know if you know this, Juliet and Sam, but we challenged our listeners to try and do the same thing that we're doing. Like, well, what is it they want to write over the next year? And so this is all absolutely incredibly useful information. And, yeah, see, uh, I, I, I'm convinced our book is going to be a complete car crash, you see. But <laughs> I think out there in internet land is someone who's maybe already got half a bestseller who listens mm. to the sage advice of you wise mentors and transforms it into something extraordinary. And if we can get a couple of, you know, writers out there on those bestseller charts themselves, and that's, that's job done for us Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And we won't even ask for a percentage, maybe a small <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the, the, other, the other aspect of it, which you guys have got going for you, is you're clearly going to be having fun with this. Mm. So if you're having fun, that again will show in the writing. Yeah. So, you know, go with it, enjoy it, um, live it and, and love it. 
We'll, we'll see about the enjoyment part. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So another another question for you in terms of you know we are we are in some ways reverse engineering the process, but in some ways we're kind of plotting. You know, whereas you know an author will sit down and plot for many months. You know their, their whole overview. We're trying to plot. You know what is it that we would write that would really connect with the audience. Um, so if you were to if we were to kind of reverse engineer this book to some extent. Um, could you give us some pointers about what, you know, you've already given us a few, but what, what would you both like to see in, the, in a book like this um, based on what you're currently looking for? So I've come up with three things. Um, psychological thriller. I, you guys are going to be like drawn to that genre, like the, the books with the girl in the title. Um, every idea has been done, hmm. right? But so how you can make it different. So you've got to think psychological thriller with a twist. Um and that might be like a sci-fi twist or it might be a ghost twist mm. so sort of merging genres or think of a different setting um, and so to give you an example uh, Ruth Ware's new book Woman in Cabin 10 is a psychological thriller slash locked room mystery that happens on a cruise ship which I thought was just such an amazing setting and that's, that's been a huge bestseller so that was tip number one tip number two Something I'm personally looking for, um, I love how to get away with murder, and I think Netflix is, should be a sort of huge inspiration for storytellers. Um, and what I love about that programme is you get a snatch of what's going to happen at the end, and each episode kind of reveals more of what happened the night of a murder. Um, and so I would like to see a crime novel where uh, we know what's going to happen on the first page, um, and you sustain the reader to find out, you know, what brings characters to do what they do that leads to that point. Um, I don't think we've had a good one of them for a while. I think we're sort of due one of those sort of great white gannets. And then the third, I told you I'm looking for a love story. Good old old-fashioned sort of gone with a wind, sweeping romance, bit of a one day, like a big weepy love story. Yeah. I'll be all... <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I would add to that it needs it needs a great what if. Um, if you've got something at the beginning that makes people start thinking and then want to spend time with your book, that's going to help enormously. An opening page that, that grabs them. If, if you lose them on the opening page, that's it, you're done. Believable characters, they don't have to be nice characters, but you have to believe in them and want to know what happens, why they're doing what they're doing, whether they're good or bad. I mean, a great example of that, I think it's probably Gone Girl. You've got two characters in there. Not sure whether you like them or not, um, but you will spend time with them. Um, there's been a lot of articles written recently in terms of a sort of scientific approach to it, which I'm sure you've you've already read that. But it's things like the three act structure, three to four main themes, use everyday language. Doesn't hurt to have girl in the title, as you've already picked up on. <laughs> um, but also, don't cheat. Don't cheat your reader. It's it's fine to have a coincidence at the beginning or to set things up. Don't use a coincidence to to, to solve it. Because if you cheat your reader, yes, they may have read the whole book. They're never going to come back for another one, which you might not care about if you're only planning to write one. But, you know, generally authors want to have careers. Yeah. If you cheat your reader, they'll, they will not forgive you. Um, and write what you want to read. I think that's really important because if you want to read it, the chances are somebody else will. Brilliant Very advice. Good. Really good. Gone, gone Girl again. I sh it I keeps coming up, doesn't it? Reading yeah. have, you, have, you, have you read it yet, Mark? Not since last week. It's, it's on the pile. It's on the pile. <laughs> um, I've got a bit of advice about twists which I heard from someone recently. Yeah. It's fine to have a twist on the last page as long as it impacts someone other than the reader. So another character has to realise something. You know, something's happened, something's different. Ah, very good. Um, because otherwise readers feel really cheated. Mm. Yeah. Very good. 
Well, we, we normally ask two questions of each of our guests, every single one of them. Uh, we ask what's their top writing tip. Now, you've just given us an abundance of writing tips <laughs> for which we and our listeners are eternally grateful. Is there one tip above all that you'd, you'd like to put out there? I think for me, we believe what you're doing. Very good. Read Into the Woods by John York. I have. It's fantastic. It's an incredible book. Mm. It is yeah. fantastic. Mark, have you, have you come across this I book? I have heard of it, but I haven't read it. It's a genius. Right? Absolutely fantastic. He's, everyone talks about the three X structure and the hero's mm. journey and why, th- and, you know, something needs to happen here and needs to happen there and blah, blah, blah. But no one ever asks why. Mm. And he goes into the psychology of A, why we need stories, why we respond to these same story beats again and again and again. And it's fantastic. And every time I write something new, I go back to it. And it's absolutely essential. It's one of the best books out there. And it helps because he's done it as well. So many people who write um, how-to books are are good teachers but haven't actually had any experience. And he's worked in film and television and all sorts. And he's he's absolutely terrific. Definitely worth reading. Into the Woods, John York. Fantastic. Top And the other question we ask everyone is, what are you reading at the moment for pleasure? If you get time to do that, of course. I'm reading Rowan Coleman's We Are All Made of Stars, which is a, a love story and it's a real weepy and like it made me cry from like the sort of third page. It's a really good book. Brilliant. I'm reading Stet by Diane Athill. Mm-hmm. Um, she was an editor for years um, and it's it's just so interesting to see how publishing has changed or in some cases not changed. <laughs> so when I'm not reading for work, that's that's by my bed. That's what I'm reading. Brilliant. Excellent. We'll add those to the library, Mark. Absolutely. Those great, great um, examples of where we need to be starting, I think. Very, very much so. Okay. Well, that's it for our two guests. You've been absolutely fantastic. That's, uh, again, a goldmine. And we'll put these into the vault of writer's gold that we're currently assembling as well, which would be a free PDF to to those who want a copy. Just sign up to our mailing list and we'll send you a copy and we'll keep it updated as we go. But Sam, Juliet, thank you so much. That was just amazing. Thank absolute you. pleasure. Yeah, Good luck. Yeah. Thank you, Sam and Juliet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we might, we might just have to possibly get you on a, a later date if we're in trouble. Would that be uh, something we might be able to do yeah definitely <laughs> brilliant thank you and so much as long much. as you send us we need your book on exclusive on exclusive 24 hour exclusive please <laughs> I think we could You'll do that Mark dis- dis- I, I, I only respond to dismembered toys so, <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have to come up with something there brilliant thank, thank you, you so, so much buddy. take care wow that was fascinating Mark wasn't it mm, absolutely brilliant and it sort of confirmed prejudices and gave us all sorts of new surprises as well but i i mean that the problem we've got is there is a push and pull you know it's got to be something commercial and it's got to be something you're passionate about and if you can marry those two things together then you're on to a winner but that's it's capturing lightning in a bottle a bit isn't it <laughs> it is in some ways and there was so much there though it's it's quite overwhelming when you think about what goes into writing a book and for me some of the big uh, take-homes were you know about emotion that was very important i think as well what i found really interesting uh, sam said about how you know people are always sending her things like the bridget dones example where something gets popular and then everyone starts writing same happens in music and you see this kind of continuation of you know you get a certain new style that everyone likes and then everyone and their dog starts writing that style and so for me it's almost like if you're starting to write something that's already become popular 
then you're too late. So it might be a benchmarking yeah. for us to say, okay, we really do have yeah. to kind of, you know, a bit, bit like, you know, like we talked with Vix last week about being a soothsayer. We have to look into the crystal ball and say, okay, based on everything that's happening in the world and based on where people are at, you know, in terms of and what they're liking right now, what could be the next trend? It's almost like being a fashion designer in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the Bridget Jones days. They were dark days indeed <laughs> where you'd sit in sales meetings and one book after another is about, oh, it's a single woman in her 30s and she's looking for love and blah, blah. And you, okay, fair. All right. And some of them did do very, very well, but a lot of them were just blatant copycats, you know. And Here's a curveball for you, Mark, though, because I wonder, you know, there's always a big book that goes to one publisher. I mean, you take, for example, you know, the Harry Potter series. And I know there were lots of kind of follow-on Harry Potter type stories, but is there an opportunity, though, for authors when there's been a big a big new novel that every other publisher in the industry is looking for their equivalent of it? Or is that not the case? Possibly. They, it's... What I think it shows is there is a gap in the market. That gap has been filled, but that's not to say that people won't be looking for more. I think the Gone Girl phenomenon has shown that Harry Potter... I mean, Harry Potter kicked off the YA uh, phenomenon, mm. which is still with us now, still going strong. I mean, the first few were children's books, but as they progressed, they became increasingly intense and aimed at possibly a more teenage readership. Uh, and that... that, that from that we got YA um, I, I, it's difficult I mean that you're talking about outliers here as well mm. I, I, I think if you're going to live with a book writing it for at least a year it's to thine own self be true it has to be something that you love and that you're passionate about and as Juliet said it can't be cynical it can't be chasing the bestsellers uh, with just trying to ape but in trying to ape something else you know it's it's people will see through that and that's that's the real trick so to become a bestseller we can't chase the bestsellers so it's a kind of a, it, it's, it's a really important thing to remember, isn't it? Is that if we're going to look at, we should, so what we shouldn't be doing is looking at what's popular now and make decisions on what we're going to write based on what's popular. It'll already be gone. That shit yeah. will already have sailed. sailed you know, I guess that's, that's particularly if, um, if you're writing, like you say, it takes a long time. We're doing it in a year, which, uh, you know, uh, if for a lot of authors can only manage one book a year. I mean, I know, you know, someone who, can knock out more than one in a year and we'll be speaking to her soon mm. um but it's uh for for a lot you know it takes a lot out of someone and it's um like i said i'm going through this myself i i i love this book i'm working on and it's um if you're going back to it every if you're writing every single day which i think a good writer should you've got to think great here i go again not oh god not this again you know yeah so. that's actually probably a very good indicator for the author to listen to their i mean there are, we all know there are days when you just don't want to write you know you might be feeling rough or you might feel uninspired you might not have the muse uh, but i think actually if you see a trend every day and, I, and you know to be honest you know like i said last week i am the perpetual starter and the perpetual not finisher and <laughs> and actually what i think part of my challenge has been when i've started writing fiction because i write a lot of non-fiction as well but but the, the fiction books I've written, if I've got bored of the story after a few chapters, that's probably why sometimes the story is just sat. And I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners yeah. will, will, will appreciate that as well in their own life. So in some ways, it's also about listening to our own inner 
um, spidey sense in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and I loved, it's almost like you, you, you almost want to sit down cause you're so excited to discover and write what happens in the next chapter. If you've got that, then, you know, the reader's going to be feeling that as well. And so we need to pay real attention to that. If we start getting bored with the story, you know, we might have to make a hard decision after a couple of months and just say, you know what, Mark, it's just not working, is it? And we might look at each other and think, yeah, this is, this is pants. <laughs> This, this is the risk. It could be a car crash. It could be. It could be. But you know, you can always get. You can, you can always call a pickup truck and get get a repair done. But uh. yeah, we'll we'll get James Patterson in. I'm sure he's not busy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, James. If you're listening, give us a call. And uh, actually, you know, on that note, you know, we are open to people contacting us if they feel they have something valuable to to offer. Um, everyone who who's enjoying this podcast, you know, do get in contact because we are we are booking guests for the next year. Uh, so do reach yeah. out to us. You can reach us at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact form there, and uh, we will look at every email that comes through. So please uh, get in touch. And of course, if you're a writer and you have a question, get in touch as well. Uh, this one hasn't come through the email, but I was talking to a friend called Sarah, who's a writer friend of mine. And she asked a very intriguing question and one that I'm not sure there's a right answer to. But she said, how will I know when my book is ready? We're talking about sending it out to editors and agents. How will I know when it's ready? Uh, what a great question mark for this week, eh? Well, and the question, the answer is... I'm not sure. But what I can tell you is it won't be after the first draft and it might not be after the second draft. Uh, I, I, was, I was at the Galantzfest last year. John, the agent John Gerald was, was on there and he's, he's fantastic. He gives terrific advice. And he said that the best thing to do is once you get to the end of your draft and you think it's ready to go out, don't. Don't send it out. Put it in a drawer for at least six weeks. Go do something else. Start a new project. Uh, you know, join a gym. Whatever you got to do, take a cruise, go on holiday, then come back to it. Six and you'll weeks. thank yourself. Well, yeah, absolutely. Six weeks. Give it time because only after then you'll come back to it. You'll read it and you go, "Oh, thank the gods, I didn't send that out because mm. that character's wrong. This shouldn't happen here. Oh, look at the the. It, the you'll just see all the errors, all the errors. So. I'm not sure when it is ready, but you'll know when it's not ready. And I think that's, that's some of the best advice I've heard regarding that. You know, it reminds me, Mark, as well, just to pitch in on that question. Uh, it reminds me when, when, when we write music as well. And I think part of the challenge with both music and books is that a song is never finished in the sense that when you listen to a song, you can always tweak it. You can always add another instrument. You can always... Uh, yeah. add another section you can change add another effect here and there and i think i'm starting to realize it's the same with books uh, you, you could keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking uh, ad nauseum to the point where you never actually finish it so i think i think it's a sense of you know like a bit like being a parent like when are your kids ready to leave home well <laughs> let's be honest probably, there's probably never a time when you're 100 percent confident they are ready uh, and if they are it's probably because they're 35 and should have left years ago but but, the, <laughs> but you have to sometimes have faith you have to hope that you've given them enough of an upbringing and you know i do think of music and books stories a bit like our kids you know there's come a point where as parents as the people that have been bringing up this book, writing this book over time, we have to actually let go. Mm. And it's about 
not letting go because you're fed up with the process and you're just like, oh, I can't be bothered with this anymore because that's, that's again, a, probably a wrong indicator. It's you, a very bad sign. You don't yeah. want, yeah, you don't want to be kind of pushing the, pushing the kid out the door because it's be, the kid's been with you 35 years of their life. You actually want to have a celebration that, that you've, you've finished the book, but you also have to let go on this idea that, you know, yes, you could keep tweaking it and you could make it better. But I found in music, if you keep on working for too long on a project, the actual project gets stale because it ages so much in your eyes. Yeah. And actually, this brings me into the motivational minute, Mark. So I'm going to dive straight into that, if that's okay. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Okay. okay. So, so this is my motivational minute. I've got a minute to inspire you this week on what you should be doing with your story. So if you're one of those authors that's been working on a story for so long, and you know that it's starting to feel old in your mind. I want you to try and separate yourself from that because, you know, the first time somebody reads that book is it's new to them, whether they read it in 20 years from now, whether they read it next year or read it today. One of the things we have to separate ourselves from is this idea of aging. When we've lived with a book or a piece of music for so long, we actually age with that piece of work and it has this weird kind of effect on us and we think that it's no longer relevant or it's no longer current or we've just got bored with it because we've had it for so long but the point is is that you've got to remember that every single person who contacts your piece of work for the first time is experiencing it for the first time and this is the craziest thing of all is as an author you will never experience your book for the first time you never can. So in some ways, when, when we try to judge our work, we are the least able to judge whether it's good or bad, because in some ways we're so in the forest with it. We can't take that perspective that somebody fresh, like an editor or a new reader will get. And we have to look at what they tell us, because oftentimes in music, I've written a piece of music, which I thought was, you know, a bit of a throwaway piece. And then it got you know, synced on Top Gear and, and it was the most popular track on the album. Um, so I often ask the question, what do we really know as the creators in terms of whether or not it's going to be successful out in the real world? So I want to encourage people, if you're feeling that something's old, maybe dig it out, freshen it up but, and then get it out there because you might be surprised at what happens. Very good. Do you know what they need? What's that? They, they they need an editor. Look, that brought it round full <laughs> but circle. But you know that is brilliant. No, but it is though. So true, isn't it, Mark? Because if yeah, you know, fresh it, pair of eyes. That's what the editor is. It's somebody who can actually read it. Yeah, like an, and like I'm a not, reader would. Yeah, and I'm not talking about your friends or your mum who's going to say, "Oh, well, that's they'll lovely, say dear. they'll always tell you it's good." Yeah, you need someone who's going to say, "This didn't work for me. These are the bumps in the road. This is where it's going wrong," and try and get more than one. What I uh, something that John Bright and I learned writing scripts together is try and get a different pair of eyes each time because uh, if you try and build up a circle of, of fellow writers who will read your stuff for you. I know it's going to be difficult, but if you get to know writers and you get a quid pro quo thing going on, you read their stuff, they'll read your stuff, but try and get fresh eyes because very often uh, if you have the same person reading it again and again, they'll still be thinking back to the mistakes you made in earlier drafts, if you understand what I mean. So I think that's, that's important. And actually I joined a writing club about six months ago and that's one thing that is is always offered on the writing club. People say, "Yeah, well, I'll I'll read through," and 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 in some ways, yeah, it's good to get other writers, but it's also good to get um, readers. You know, people who aren't analysing it like a writer might do and can just read it yeah. for readers' sakes. But if you haven't yeah. been part of a club, a writers' club, I think that might be something to look into. Um, yeah, for I people mean, the, out these there. are your, 
these are your peers and they'll probably be at the same level as you. So you're not necessarily going to get the kind of expert advice you get from an editor, but they will. there will be common bumps in the road and those are the ones to listen to where they will say, this character didn't work for me or I, I kind of lost interest around about here. If you hear that more than once, then there's, it's not just an opinion, there's definitely a problem. Mm. And that's something that needs to be addressed whether you like it or not. And that, that for me, is often the difference between a professional writer and, and an amateur one is some will go back, okay, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to make it better. So we've got some thinking to do, Mark. You know, I think for Julia yeah. and Sam have both brought up in me questions about, you know, what are we really, what should we be writing? And, and we're still in this discovery right now. And, and we're not, we're yeah. not going to rush into picking something. I think that one part of the, part of the beauty of this journey is, you know, let's give ourselves time to explore, discover, ask more questions and get some more guests in who can help us on that journey and uh, yeah, see yeah. where we go. Absolutely. <laughs> just get my pencil <laughs> sharp and I hang on just one second. There we go. There you go. Let's hear it again. Ah, lovely. It's good work. Excellent. Good work. I must get an electric one so we can get the real noise booming through. I can st- <laughs> and then you can spend all day just sharpening pens. <laughs> so brilliant. So thank you so much for joining us this week. And if you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, uh, we'd really appreciate if you'd pop along and subscribe. And also, if you could leave a review, if you like the show, we'd absolutely love that. We'll be reading out some reviews uh, on later shows. So please, please do spread the word about the bestseller experiment. And you can find us at bestsellerexperiment.com. And remember that you can pop along to the website, you can download our Vault of Gold, which is where we're going to be compiling the best tips each week uh, as a kind of a mini ebook, which we're giving away for free. So do come along, sign up to our mailing list, sign up to the ebook, and uh, we'll make sure that you get that in your inbox. And Mark, tell people where they can find us on social media. Yeah, let's keep the conversation going on Facebook, which is Bestseller Experiment. On Twitter, we are at Bestseller Experiment. XP. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter too. I'm at Mark Stay and uh, Mr. DeVoe there is at 4000 Saturdays, 400 Saturdays. And I have a blog as well about writing called Unusually Tall Stories. And if you've started to think about writing a book with us doing this crazy bestseller experiment, or if you're partway through, or even if you're getting to the end of one, come to the Facebook page and tell us what yeah. you're writing. We want to hear from you. You may even get a mention on the show. So do come along and tell us. And also, please send us your questions for question marks. We're going to be answering a question each week. So what is your burning question that you want to know about? We may even ask our guests your questions. So do come along to the website or to social media and get in contact. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Until next week, it's goodbye from Mark 1. And it's goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>